Welcome back, everyone. It's Tuesday afternoon, July 19th, 2022. Thanks for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Got a lot of news that's happening today. We already have quite a few stories up at hotair.com. Got a great show for you today, too. We've got Mark Cavalier from uh, Southwest Coalition for Life, uh, who is going to be doing something unusual today in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And you'll have to listen in on Mark's conversation here to find out the big reveal about what they're doing in response to the Jackson Women's Health Clinic moving from Mississippi, where they just lost the case in the Dobbs decision, to Las Cruces. Southwest Coalition for Life is, uh, obviously, it's a pro-life organization. It exists to uh, help women go through all of the different options that they have. So... Be, be sure to stick around for that. And of course, we're talking with Andrew Malcolm today about some of the top stories this week. And that's a great conversation as well. In the meantime, we've got a lot of great things going on at Hot Air and some very interesting, uh, very interesting stories. I think maybe the most interesting story so far this morning has been the attack on uh, Myra Flores, who's running, who, who won a special election, I should say, in Texas's Rio Grande Valley for a seat that had always been occupied by a Democrat. She's the first Hispanic Republican to hold that seat. She's the first Latina Republican to win an election in Texas, I believe. And so she's obviously someone who is a particular focus of concern for Texas Democrats. Now, because of the redistricting, she's actually running for election again because a special election only takes you through the end of this term. She's running for election again in Vicente Gonzalez's district. Vicente, Vicente Gonzalez hired a blogger uh, who uh, decided that she he was going to go after Mara Flores in uh, some pretty uh, despicable terms, called her Miss Frijoles 2022. He has made derogatory comments about her, about her sex, about her, about her ethnicity. And this is a guy who is uh, well known for these types of attacks. I mean, so they hired this guy, they paid him $1,200. And immediately, I think uh, as Mark Caputo from NBC News reported, he made at least 21 references to Flores as, and Frijoles. And so, which I wrote about this morning and I said, well, that's about one step away from calling someone a beaner. And um, if, this, if the shoe was on the other foot partisan wise, this would be a national, you know, four siren story. Uh, kudos to Mark, by the way, who's a good reporter and does a lot of really good reporting. He used to be at Politico, now he's at NBC News for making this, for, for reporting on this. We'll see how many other media outlets want to shine a light on that. Uh, another interesting development today is actually happened last night. Stephen Colbert went after Joe Biden and his um, trip to Saudi Arabia, the fist bump with Mohammed bin Salman. And went after Biden's age, and I'm I wonder whether or not this is maybe a turning point for late night comics who have been shying away from attacks on Biden, just like they spent eight years shying away from attacks on Barack Obama. And I don't think it's I mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting inflection point if it turns out to be that. Bill Maher has been doing this for months, by the way. Bill Maher made that transition quite a long time ago, but the other late night comics have been more interested in covering Joe Biden as in covering for Joe Biden, Jimmy Kimmel's, uh, Jimmy Kimmel's uh, assistance in getting Biden across the finish line five weeks ago on his show, I think is a lot more emblematic of the way late night has been treating Biden specifically, but Democrats in general. Maybe the Saudi Arabia trip is an inflection point. We'll see, but it's an interesting uh, clip to watch. Um, otherwise, we're covering a lot of other things. Biden's argument on gas prices, he wants credit for dropping for them dropping 50 uh, cents over the last 34 days, but apparently doesn't want to accept responsibility for them going up $2.50 in the previous 510 days. So I deconstruct that, actually deconstructed that on Twitter, you know, uh, yesterday afternoon, Monday afternoon. But I decided to return back to it because I wanted to make sure that people understood that there was more to this and where the actual issue is. The reason why prices are declining is because there is less demand. And the reason why there's less demand, probably because the prices got too high and we finally hit a, a balancing point between uh, supply, demand, and price. That's not going to last long, however. The Washington Post over the weekend <laughs> made sure to warn everybody, yeah, the, the, that little price level that you're seeing, don't count on it. 
You can read my post on that. We got a lot of other great stuff coming up, by the way. Jazz is back. Jazz Shaw is back. We should get him on the show here. Uh, I'm very happy to see Jazz back. <laughs> it's a little less work for me now that Jazz is back. And uh, he's got a lot of great stuff going on. Alapundit's got some great stuff going on. Uh, John Sexton has a post going up, and it should be up about the time that you get this um, uh, podcast episode in your hot little hands. Um, on Germany rethinking their decision to shut down their nuclear plants. Um, we should be rethinking our decision to not expand our nuclear power uh, generation here in the United States. Uh, we are we we are shutting down. I think we shut down San Onofre, for instance, in California. Uh, but that was in, that was an aging out process. It probably could have stayed open. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to replace those aging out reactors with brand new reactors, new technology, safer technology, more reliable, uh, less waste. Uh, that's the type of direction that you would want to go in if you had a coherent energy policy. Unfortunately, as uh, as I also talk about later today, um, probably go up just a little bit after this podcast drops, we're, we don't have an intelligent, rational energy policy. Amos Hochstein, who is uh, Joe Biden's energy advisor at the White House, uh, makes it clear on CNN this morning that, of course, the Biden administration is disincentivizing long-term investment in oil and natural gas production because they want to phase out fossil fuels altogether. So they're not going to incentivize the type of investment that would actually uh, produce a lot more oil, a lot more gasoline, and would actually address the demand that is developing for energy ahead of developing whatever green energy alternatives they think is going to replace this, and which is very clear now, is not even close to being a replacement. Certainly not scalable, um, and certainly not at the level necessary. And it won't be for many, many years to come. So that is what's coming up at hotair.com. If you read and watch that, as well as watch the podcast. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me is Mark Cavalier. We're going to be talking about um, a, a new uh, women's health organization in Las Cruces that is going to be, um, it's going to be sort of a surprise for the, um, uh, for, for the abortion industry. And joining us to talk about that is Mark Cavalier. Mark, thanks for being with us today. Uh, first off, um, uh, tell us who, tell us what your organization is and and what's happening there in Las Cruces. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank you again for having me. It's this, uh, we're with the Southwest Coalition for Life. Uh, we started in Las Cruces, New Mexico, back in 2014 when we actually faced a different abortion facility coming into our city. Um, and then uh, we started our full-time nonprofit, some real strategic outreach. And after two years, uh, they actually shut down uh, for said for financial trouble, for suddenly not getting enough patients because we were able to help women to that degree that it was no longer profitable for them. And so then we expanded to the larger El Paso area and uh, have really gotten involved with, uh, you know, doing more for women's health care uh, in, in a way that supports womanhood and motherhood. And, uh, and now we hear the news that this uh, case from the center of the Dobbs versus Jackson case that overturned Roe versus Wade, this controversial abortion business, the last facility in Mississippi is shutting down and they're moving to, of course, Las Cruces, New Mexico. So uh, we're, uh, we're gonna be uh, having a big announcement to kind of surprise them with what we're doing right next door. Wow, well, this is exciting and uh, probably not so much for, uh, for the uh, abortion clinic that's going to be opening up there. But uh, yeah, the big rally, uh, we're gonna put this up on Tuesday. So we're gonna try to get it up uh, early. So, but um, this is, uh, uh, you're gonna have a rally there. It's gonna be, uh, you're gonna have pro-life leaders coming in from around the country to speak at this rally, right? Oh, that's correct. Yeah. David B. Wright, who's the founder of 40 Days for Life, which has become a global movement. Oh, yeah. Uh, the for Life movement. He'll be there as a good friend of ours, a close mentor. Uh, Leah Jacobson, who started uh, these uh, Guiding Star Centers, the, the National Guiding Star Project, uh, really to be kind of a, a pro-life alternative to Planned Parenthood of doing, you know, not just helping a woman choose life and then letting her back out into the same medical system that kind of failed her and got her into that situation in the first right. place. Right, but really saying let's let's actually have truly holistic women's health care. Um, she's really worked hard to define uh, actually this. Uh, she's just put out a book recently, Holistic Feminism, uh, basically uh, you know healing the identity crisis caused by the women's movement uh, to really say you know we need to do more to support women, and that's what we're going to be bringing right next door. Holistic feminism, and that's with a W. 
Correct. Um, Holistic mean holism, whole person, mind, body, soul. Uh, You know, so often what Roe versus Wade has told women for the last 50 years is that uh, in order to be successful, uh, you have to alter, suppress, and destroy the normal healthy functions of your natural body in order to be definitions of success that are really based on you know, male norms in the workplace. Um, and we're saying that that shouldn't be the case, that we should need to shift that expectation to employers, to universities, to society to be the ones to change and conform to better support women. Well, yes. And, you know, this is some of the things that we just got done talking with a friend of mine, Peter Ngemi, who uh, works with uh, pregnancy centers in Massachusetts, where Senator Elizabeth Warren is from. And Senator Elizabeth Warren has had a lot to say about pregnancy centers of late. And Mm -hmm. and uh, I I mean, I, I definitely want to get your take on this because you have experience with them. So does Peter. Peter works. uh, Peter works with them. He helps fundraise for them. Uh, You know, he's a part time blogger, but he's very committed to the pro-life cause. And uh, Mark, uh, as are you, of course. And I I mean, I found it. I mean, I'm sort of aghast, I think, at uh, Elizabeth Warren's accusations that this is somehow some sort of bait and switch, uh, that they that this is an exploitation of women and that uh, somehow (laughs) somehow Planned Parenthood isn't. The pregnancy centers, you know, I've I've done some events and stuff like that. I'm, I wouldn't say that I've, I'm an expert in this, but the people that I've talked to who work in these places and the people that I've talked to who've gone through these places say, this is, these are places that give women the full range of options. And you you talk about holistic feminism, this book that you're going to be um, um, working with. I mean, that to me is much more of a holistic approach for women than just the single, you know, uh, contraception, uh, you know, at first an abortion, on, on the back end sort of approach that Planned Parenthood takes. Right, and that's the thing is, you know, the per, Planned Parenthood has essentially hijacked, even the phrase women's healthcare is now gotten to a point where that's equated with contraception and abortion. Let's just suppress the, you know, the the, the things of our natural body uh, that, that, that define womanhood and um and we're just here to say you know your body you're not your body's not broken it's good it's sacred you know we used to revere and and really i have felt compelled as a man that you know roe versus wade has also created this culture uh in men that has objectified and used and abused women essentially for sex on demand without consequence and uh, and and you know every woman listening to this has been on the receiving end of that in some way for which right. i apologize and so we need to do better we need to step up and say you know our women deserve better we need to actually love them support them and not subject them to really these traumatic experiences of, of you know, uh, you know, these traumatic chemical abortion procedures and, and invasive surgeries, uh, in, in, you know, to suffer the consequences of men. Yeah. And I think that this is a huge, this should be a huge discussion in feminist circles. And I think it has been in the past. Right. And I'm not, I think that what's happened, though, is that it's been eclipsed by the uh, defense of abortion for the last 49 years since Roe. But I think that there's been discussion about, um, about this, even maybe perhaps just sotto voce um, among among feminist groups mm-hmm. about the about the exploitation, the exploitative um, aspects of abortion on demand when it, when it comes to male sexuality. And I'm frankly surprised that this is not something that comes up more often. I mean, it, it, they talk about this being, well, it's a woman's body. It's a woman's choice, woman's choice. It's also, you know, a. Yeah, it's really a, a strictly a woman's burden. And right. and so, you know, th- that to me, I think, is something that really should be explored more fully um, from feminists. We're seeing it from pro-life feminists, right? And they, there are such a thing as pro-life feminists. And again, you know, um, holistic feminists. I mean, you can hold that book up again. Yeah, that, 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 that's what this is. Yeah, <laughs> this is the pro-life version of let's, let's actually respect womanhood and understand and you know it's interesting because we're getting to a point where the those who are defending abortion and really those who profit from abortion can't even define what a woman is you know yes. and we're here to say that no like you know there are there are things that make women sacrosanct you know i mean they have these superpowers of fertility and gestation and ovulation and lactation that are so unique 
And if we're not very specifically saying, you know, the this is really the foundation of society is is through womanhood, and they're not even willing to define that, you know, we're here to say no. That is something that we need to have a very clear focus on. What is what is natural, what is healthy, uh, in a way that that really supports, you know, even even organic, if you want to say that doesn't just say let's just come in and oppress this with, you know, class you know class one carcinogens and uh, you know surgeries that are just really not only is it obviously for the child who can't doesn't survive the process but for the woman for the for her hormone the hormonal impact on her body on her mind right I, I i'm just going to share this as an aside because it's a it's only tangential to to what we're talking about but i saw a headline today and i think i actually saw it over the weekend it said something to the effect of 43 percent of people who menstruate on a regular basis report uh that they're um their menstruation intensified after receiving a covid19 vaccine Wow. I'm thinking people who menstruate regularly are women. Right. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot easier to just say women, but I mean it's this this uh, this sort of deconstruction this this uh, abandonment of fundamental truth right. is is part of this deconstructing the female so that uh, all of these are, uh, are so that you can impose more and more of these societal uh, expectations on people who menstruate on a regular basis right I, i'm, I'm been, i was laughing about that all weekend long mark i and what a disservice what a disservice to women that are now not able to receive true authentic health care because of you know the the um you know this what a virtue signaling you know that right that so many are doing and and it's really a disservice even right now what really breaks my heart is you have all this misinformation and fear-mongering and, and intentional political misinformation regarding mis natural miscarriage. You know, my wife and I have experienced two natural miscarriages, very heartbreaking. Right. Um, yeah. And they're trying to they're trying to equate a, an induced intentional abortion with a natural miscarriage and saying that you know women are now going to be jailed and prosecuted for miscarriage. And um, and it's gotten to the point where you know even women who go through this natural and you know really heartbreaking experience, they don't get the dignity that otherwise I think society, we should be providing them because there's this fear that, well, if we if we acknowledge that what they're going through, that would be dignifying in the life in the womb. And it's and so yep. that's one of the things too, we have a really good miscarriage program for women who've gone through that and don't know where else to go. Um, and really just saying, you know, we women need, women deserve better than abortion. They do. Now you're gonna have a new facility in Las Cruces. Um, I'm not sure that we got this mentioned yet, but let's go ahead and talk about this now. Yeah. The, the you know Jackson Women's Health Organization is moving from Mississippi to Las Cruces. Going to be renamed the uh, Las Cruces Women's Health Organization. It's the same group, though. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the Southwest Coalition for Life has new offices in Las Cruces, so maybe you can tell us exactly where they landed. Right. So this is this is the part of the big announcement for uh, for for tonight for Tuesday the nineteenth. And um, uh, so if you're hearing it here, you're getting a little bit early. But um, uh, yes, they just came into uh, it's twenty nine eighteen Hillrise Drive in Las Cruces. It's right across the street from a children's clinic. It's a stone's throw away from a daycare, and it's just less than a quarter mile from uh, Hillrise Elementary School. There's a family clinics. There's churches right within a quarter mile of this area. This is a real wholesome area. The city of Las Cruces itself, Las Cruces means the crosses. It's the city right. of the crosses. This is a, a very vibrant, you know, family-based community who already went through this once and took a stand and said, you know, we're not, even though Santa Fe and Albuquerque kind of dictate the political situation in Mexico, which allows abortion up to the moment of delivery for any reason, even minors without parental consent in the state of New Mexico, uh, that had been kind of, you know, stayed up in the northern part of the state uh, until now, until they're now, you know, with the overturn of Roe, they're looking for where can I continue to do unregulated abortion? And we're seeing this Diane Zerzis with the uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization. She was already shut down in Alabama once, uh, had 76 pages of health code violations, and they sent three women to the hospital on one day. One woman go to the intensive care unit. Um, and, uh, and then in Mississippi, you know, was was cited for uh, not having a safe and sanitary uh, environment for women. Um, and so she's being driven out state after state. And now because of, you know, the uh, virtue signaling of our governor and our legislative here in New Mexico, uh, they're, they're, they're welcoming this really as a destination for abortion tourism for the nation. We're going right. from five abortion facilities in the state to almost to more than doubling that to almost it looks like possibly 14 now in the state of New Mexico, fairly rural state. Um, and, uh, you know, and now the rest of the state is standing up to say, you know, we need to do something more at the local level to help women because we, we can't we can't tolerate this. 
And so the um, Southwest Coalition for Life is going to be set up. Um, so it's okay to say this, right? Yeah, yeah, so go for it. Right next door to the to the newly minted Las Cruces Women's Health Organization. You guys are going to be right next door providing all of the other options that the Las Cruces uh, Women's Health Organization will not provide, does not want to provide. And I, I mean, I think that this is brilliant. I think that um, it will be very amusing, I think, uh, to see how well that uh, is is tolerated. But uh, it's also very necessary, right? Because one of the aspects that you have when women are in that situation is they feel isolated. They feel alone. They don't feel like they have any other options. They're really grappling with despair, right? I mean, it's really at, at its root, this is despair. There's, you know, there, there's, there's just a, a sense of hopelessness. Uh, and it's important, I think, for them to, to see that there are other options. Now, if they choose still to abort, you, you can only do so much, right? But, sure. um, but at least having that presence there really shows that there are other options. And I think that this is going to make, and the best part of this, of course, is that it's going to make Elizabeth Warren very, very angry with you, Mark. Um, <laughs> I hope that you're prepared for that. <laughs> Pray for us. <laughs> yeah, well, we were, we, we're praying um, for you anyway, but yeah. Thank you. Um, no, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, accusations of bait and switch and things like that. And, you know, we make it very clear, we will never financially profit from any decision that you make, you know, and, and there, you know, you can always go right back to this facility. They'll take your money anytime that, you know, people reschedule there all the time. But at the very least, you know, we're here to just make sure that you're making an informed decision for the woman. Um, and, 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 you know, so many times women who find themselves in that situation, they're not the ones out rallying for, you know, uh, you know, abortion. They, they're, they're in a situation they feel like they have no choice. They feel like they have no option. They feel like the society has created this dichotomy where I have to choose between being a mother and achieving my goals. And that's where we're partnering with Guiding Star Project uh, to really bring in this idea of comprehensive women's health care to say, you know, you, you can, this is a normal, natural part of your body that you should not have to reject and destroy as a woman. You should be able to embrace this and we will help you. We will help you for free. They're going to charge you a thousand bucks for it. We'll even pay your rent. You know, like we're going right. to be here for you with parenting classes, doulas, lactation support, you know, uh, help, through, help through childbirth, you know, er everything about uh, what this means to embrace this really beautiful and essential function uh, as of being a woman. Well, where can people find out more about uh, about what you're doing, about what's going to be happening today as we're going to be airing this thing on, on Tuesday? Um, but, um, you know, where, where can people go to find more about that? Yeah, a, a couple of places. Our main website is www.southwest.life. Uh, that's the, oh, all wow. spelled out, southwest.life. Um, and uh, that's our main website. And then for this particular event, uh, we have an event page at newfrontline.org because this is really what we're seeing happen in New Mexico is our state is really becoming the new frontline of post-pro-America you know, the new frontline of the pro-life movement. They, you know, they are flocking here as this, you know, completely unregulated up to the moment of delivery. Um, and we're just completely getting overrun. And so we have to take a stand and we're seeing pro-lifers from Texas, from Mississippi, uh, joining us from other states, from Arizona coming in uh, to say, this is this is really a, even beyond a statewide issue. This is something that we now can't just pat ourselves on the back and say, well, abortion's not happening in Texas anymore because they're all just driving through El Paso, you know, across the state line now and coming to New Mexico. So there's still work work to do. And we still, uh, you know, just like after, um, I always point out, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't have a good track record in, uh, in the uh, Dred Scott case, right? They were the ones that said, quote, a Negro is not a human being. Um, and even when they later corrected themselves, some states resisted and still stuck to this, you know, old uh, antiquated mentality, even up until the 1960s. And that's what's happened again, you know, 50 years ago, the Roe versus Wade said the same thing that, quote, the uh, word person does not refer to the unborn. And now we see New Mexico is one of these states that is resisting and staying with this old antiquated idea that, you know, we, we ha women have to have abortion in order to be successful. And we're saying that, uh, you know, we're, we have 50 years of medical of advancements in, women, in the field of women's health care that show us that abortion is not necessary for women and they deserve better. All right. Well, Mark Cavalier, thank you so much for being with us and good luck. At, uh, thank you. I, and especially good luck with uh, Senator Warren. She's, she's <laughs> probably ringing you online too, man. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'd love to have the conversation. We'll see. There you go. All right. Thanks again, uh, Mark Cavalier. And stay tuned for a little bit more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next.
All right, welcome back on Tuesdays. We always talk to Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com. He's at A.H. Malcolm uh, on Twitter. And, of course, redstate.com is where he's the regent of redstate.com. So there you go. Uh, Andrew, welcome back. Always great to talk to you on Tuesdays. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's good to be had. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, I want to talk to you about your – we're going to start with your thing on Donald Trump because this is, of course, sort of the thing that's been percolating. You're, you're calling your yeah. VIP column over uh-huh. at redstate.com on Donald Trump. Ask the questions – can he do it again and will he try? And I think there's a third question is if he does when, because there's there was talk that he was going to make an announcement after Independence Day. Now it's he's going to make an uh, announcement after Labor Day. Either one of those two things would be really bad for the Republican Party in yeah. the midterms, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely bad. Uh, but, you know, uh, Donald Trump is always been more about Donald Trump than the Republican Party. He he adopted the party rather than the other way around. Right. And um, and they enjoyed, <clears throat> well, they benefited from four years. Um, what it would do is hand the Democrats uh, the great eminence grease of, uh, of Donald Trump coming back which would uh, really help their turnout yep. uh, in the fall. Uh, and Republicans, I think, were really enjoying months of depressing news for Democrats and, and uh, hoping that that would turn down the turnout and, um, uh, and enable them to maybe s- uh, s- uh, scratch some s- uh, into their coffers uh, some seats that that uh, might be marginal for them, uh, for Republicans normally. So, yeah, that, but, you know, uh, I don't know for sure. I don't have any inside uh, information, but um, this is kind of classic Donald Trump celebrity apprentice, which is, uh, we're going to tease you with something today and that'll get you talking for next week. And then next week, you'll get half an answer, but there'll be another tease for the next one and so on. So uh, this is the showman um, and it gets him in the news, although it's vacation time. So I'm not sure that uh, uh, a lot of Americans are paying a whole lot of attention and he, he doesn't right. have, he doesn't have the footprint that he used to when he was on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, so yeah, and I, I think that there's another issue here, too. Um, and you're right. I, I agree with you. You're right about the fact that this really does hand Democrats uh, an issue that they that they want to have, but they can't right now, which is that to put Donald Trump on on the ballot so they can run against Donald Trump. And he's not on the ballot. And so um, and not formally even a candidate yet. So they can talk about it. And I'm not even sure that it's going to necessarily mean that they're going to talk about it more because they're already talking about it. But what it will do is it will make it a, a salient point among voters and might uh, generate more turnout, right, um, than than Democrats would otherwise have gotten with right. the economic news as bad as it is, right? Right. And another argument against it, um, which obviously Donald Trump is not talking about, is that uh, there's a whole bunch of rules that come down on him the minute he announces as a candidate. And he had at the beginning of this year, like 120 million uh, war chest. I think it's down some now, but he he's uh, uh, fundraising like crazy and merchandising like crazy. Um, and that, that, that money he could not touch uh, for right. his campaign. So that that goes out the window. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's using it for his rallies, uh, for his staff yeah. research, and uh, and uh, which is all perfectly legitimate. <clears throat> but the minute he says, "I'm running for president," boom! There's a whole bunch of rules and regulations that come down on him. Yeah, the FEC stuff becomes kind of onerous at that point, right? And yeah, so why take, why do it so early? Uh, he, it would be just to get in the conversation again. Yeah, and I think that it would show actually uh, a bit of desperation 
Because I think that the perception here is that Donald Trump is losing ground among Republicans. Now, I don't know how true that is. I mean, we're seeing polls. There's a, a poll that came out of Florida today uh, that showed in, in a Florida primary, Ron DeSantis would get 61% of the vote and Donald Trump would get 39% if it was just head-to-head. I don't think it's going to be head-to-head either. You're going to have other Republicans in there. Glenn Youngkin might get into this race. Uh, Doug Ducey might get into this race. You know, Greg Abbott might get into this race. Plus Tim Scott and you know Josh Hawley, you know, Tom Cotton, those sorts of uh, folks inside the Beltway, and so you have a real potential here of splitting the uh, the non-Trump vote in a manner that happened actually the same thing basically you know eight years earlier in in the Republican primary. Yep. But but I think the fact that you're seeing in head-to-head matches that Donald Trump is behind uh, in his home state, his newly adopted home state of Florida. That's not a good sign. And so I think that if he's going to make that kind of move, that might be the reason why, to see if he can force some other people out, including DeSantis. But DeSantis isn't going anywhere. DeSantis, DeSantis has two more years on his... Uh, he'll, excuse me, he'll, he'll run for re-election in this midterm cycle. And then 2024, he'll have two years left on his second term. And that's precisely where he needs to be in order to... Yeah. Um, in order to make the jump into a presidential cycle. So Yeah, so he's not gonna say a word about twenty twenty four now. He's nope. gone. I'm totally focused on being the best governor of Florida could possibly have. Yep. That's a good point. You know, and the um you know, the, so I think it tiny. I think that actually doesn't help Trump a lot to jump in early. And I think it's going to create more resentment about Trump. Uh, because again, I think it will be seen within the GOP as a complete ego move at the expense of the party. And it wouldn't be the first time <laughs> that Donald Trump got accused of doing a complete ego move at the expense of the party. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's going to, yeah, I, I don't think that that's going to well, be it very also It also effective. gets his name out there for the, for the fundraising. I mean, look. I mean, just I, talking about it rather than doing it, just talking about yeah, it. I mean, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. talking about it. Yeah. And he's getting, He's sending out, he and his committees, various committees of his, sometimes I get two dozen or more emails a day from from various committees of his. Uh, he's selling hats, he's selling Let's Go Brandon pins, club membership, a name on an honorary uh, donor wall, uh, ultra mega membership, uh, and uh, I mean, stuff, uh, dinner with him, a chance to be flown to the next rally. Um, and he's got a program where you can sign up for a donation and get text messages allegedly from him on your phone. Uh, and of course, then they'll have um, your phone number for future pleas for, for money. And everybody who goes into a rally uh gives their email and their and their cell phone number so that's building up the bank um so but it's it, i mean you could think that uh <laughs> i mean I, I know he's got bigger fish to fry but uh, he, he's got quite a merchandising operation going he, yeah he does he it's does a There's... major major operation to get like two dozen emails a day going out and you know in the junk mail that you get in your mailbox they're delighted if they get as much as two percent uh response so uh he's probably building up his war we don't know what's happened in the first half last year he got i think it was 65 million and then 51 million in the second half so it slipped a little bit <clears throat> which might go to your point about fading. I think, I think the, his absence is both good and bad for him. Uh, I, I wrote early on when he got banned from Twitter that this could be great because people might forget the animosity they had and the, the tumult that, that his constant tweets. Yeah, the chaos, yeah. The, yeah, the chaos that, that went on and on and on and people just grew tired of it. Um, and that's part of the reason that Joe Biden, you know, he could knock off at 10 and 11 in the morning because uh, Trump was out there doing three, four rallies in, in three or four different states um, and stirring the pot. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and the other part of this too is I think what he's afraid of and the reason why he would want to pull the trigger early on this is he's afraid that the rise of Ron DeSantis is really giving Republicans a serious option, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why this is important, I was just talking about this with, with some colleagues today, and I wrote about it about a week ago or so, maybe a little over that, is that there's really three questions for Republicans going into the next primary when it comes to Trump. There's three questions, right? And I'm just putting aside everything else, right? There's three basic questions. One is, do you want a 78-year-old guy at the top of your ticket? Because after what's gone on with Joe Biden, I think age is going to be a huge problem um, for Trump. Even though Trump's very vital, he's doing the rallies and all that kind of stuff, 78 is still 78. And we're seeing what happens when you elect old, really old people into this office. Is It, be, it can become a problem very quickly. Mm -hmm. And and it will happen suddenly. It, it, will, it won't be gradual. It will happen suddenly. And then all of a sudden, you've got a real issue on your hands. The second question... And that could be the excuse for, I really like Trump, but the age thing. Well, yeah, exactly. That's one excuse. I'm going to give you another one in just a second, but I'll get to the second point. <laughs> I'll get to the second point before I get to the better excuse. The second point is all the baggage that comes with this, right? And, you know, you've got the January 6th committee hearings, which people are paying attention to, but aren't really considering in terms of their midterm votes. Some of that stuff is going to come up in consideration for the 2024 vote. And it may not necessarily be an issue in the primaries, but it certainly will be in a general election. You'll have a lot of stuff floating around. There'll be a lot of stuff that that gets out in the open about texts, you know, and, and, and communications between people. And none of that's going to make Trump look very good, even if it's not actionable in terms of legal. These guys aren't really looking for a prosecution. No, they're <laughs> looking to poison the well. They're looking to poison the well, right. And, I mean, you can make an argument that there's a that there's a, you know, a patriotic reason for doing that. If you really think this guy is a danger to the Republic, then you want everybody to know just how bad he is. I grant that. I also grant the fact that this is a, a complete political operation here. And it's probably um, at least somewhat, um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? It's probably not not a great precedent to set, to have, mm -hmm. to have House committees, you know, explicitly, uh, campaigning against a party's potential next nominee in this manner. Or, or going after a former president. Going after a former president, which is even, which is that, yeah, even in a second. Yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, although it's not because he's eligible to run again, which brings right. me to point number three. <laughs> and, yeah. I'm, and I'm really interested, after reading your column here at redstate.com, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. And I don't think that this is something that people have really considered a lot yet. And because it's really not time yet to consider it. But after the midterms are over, once we get into the um, the uh, primaries, the, the GOP primary, you know, pre-battles, pre right? All, of, all the declarations, all that. It's going to dawn on people that Donald Trump's only constitutionally eligible for one more term in office, right? He, he's already served one full term. He's only constitutionally eligible for one more term after that. After that, term limits apply. He can never be president again. And that means that you're going to be running somebody at the top of a ticket who's 78 years old, who's carrying tons of baggage, and who basically will become a lame duck the moment you elect them. And especially after the first term midterms, when you can bet that Donald Trump's impact on midterm elections will be pretty similar to what it was in 2018. Yeah. At normal. It was a normal impact, right? Um, the party that's holding the White House usually loses seats, and that Trump did, and basically at the level that you'd expect to see. Um, but he's going to be a lame duck. I mean, especially in the final two years, even if everything else goes normally, which it won't, <laughs> yeah. he'll have two years, and that's basically it. And then you'll have to have another big intra-party fight over who's the next person in line. Unless he picks an heir apparent that everybody yeah, but, likes. But nobody's... I mean, that could be a but, selling point. Look, but it almost never happens. That yeah. almost never works. I mean, it worked with George H.W. Bush and Ronald Reagan. But then I think the last time it worked prior to that was uh, Herbert Hoover. <laughs> Being picked, being picked. I don't even know if he was picked by Coolidge, to be honest with you, because they're really two different kinds of politicians. Um, 
but I mean, he was the, as far as I can recall, I, I'm not even sure Hoover wasn't even Coolidge's vice president. He was oh. a cabinet member. Uh, he's the last cabinet member to win the presidency. There's right. Only been, there's only been three, and the others were early on. Right. So, I mean, you're getting to a point here where, I mean, you're not getting much out of a Donald Trump nomination at that point in time. You know, in 2016, you could say we're going to get eight years of Donald Trump. We're going to reset politics, yeah. um, et cetera. Well, we've already done the resetting politics it didn't hold, unfortunately. Um, and then you had all this baggage, you know, the post-election stuff in 2020 that's going to come back and haunt Republicans if Donald Trump's at the top of the ticket again. Um, and you're not going to get a chance to reset politics and you're going to get maybe two good years out of the guy before he becomes a figurehead again. And what if he loses? Oh, yeah, what if he loses? We're going to go through all that over again? <laughs> no, no, but what if he... What exactly the, all that with Trump? But yeah, if he if he loses, then there's a huge vacuum for four years. Yeah, well, I think he's. You're right. There's going to be some real challenges in the prime in GOP primaries. Uh, I mean, Nikki Haley is uh, is organizing. I think DeSantis is quietly organizing, traveling around the country, meeting donors and so forth. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's all that quietly to be honest with you. Yeah. He's done a lot and of then, donor stuff. Yeah, right. And, and others, like you mentioned, Tim Scott, uh, Tom Cotton. <clears throat> uh, so they're, they're getting ready because you, you can't just decide I'm going to run. You have to organize uh, well in advance. Remember, Elizabeth Warren announced on New Year's Eve, uh, almost two years before the election. Yep. Uh, now... Let's see. I'll go back through my catalog here. Uh, John F. Kennedy announced on January third of election year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're 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 what ten months out roughly. Um, Bill uh, Bill Clinton announced in October, uh, thirteen months before. Obama and Clinton announced in February, twenty one months before. George W. Bush announced. Oh wait a minute, but, 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 but you're missing one. Joe Biden actually announced in in January yeah. of 2007. Remember, he was one of the yeah. earliest ones yeah. in the race. Yeah, didn't uh, didn't last the whole. No. Um, George W. Bush announced in July of '99. Um, so uh, you don't. I mean, it's just. It's silly politically to announce before the midterms. That's it. Any midterms, yeah. any president, any candidate. I agree. <laughs> You're just taking on extra baggage. You don't need it because if you now 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 Trump, of course, is throwing the dice. He's endorsing lots and lots of candidates, and so this midterm is going to be uh, viewed through the prism of how well did Donald Trump do, right? And and if his people lose. He's not spending much money, you know. I mean, I think he spent uh, his pack out of that hundred and twenty million. He spent, I think, a million five, and a million went to some leadership, conservative leadership group that that Mark Meadows is involved with, uh, and three hundred and fifty thousand was divided among sixty five Republican candidates, which turns out to be not too much money. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, he's, he's, not, he's, he's raising like a candidate, although he, he can't spend the money as a candidate, um, but he's not spending like a candidate. Yeah. I think that Trump basically just is doing fundraising. And I think that yeah. at least the people around him are going to say there's no point in announcing prior to the midterms because here's the last point I'm going to make on that. And then I want to get to the media credibility thing from Gallup. Um, but the, <laughs> the problem with announcing in say September, early September is that, yeah, you're going to get like a three day boost on that. And then all of a sudden you're going to have hundreds of millions of dollars in messaging on the midterms <laughs> that follows yeah. after that, that announcement's going to wind up getting buried. It's not going to, it's not going to have any, uh, any real resonance because it's it's first off it's out of place and secondly 
the midterm is a much more newsy thing, right? That's It'll right. be newsy and, you know, media outlets will chew on a Donald Trump announcement for a couple of days. Then they're going to get right back to polls on in Georgia and Arizona and, you know, and all these other, you know, battleground states and, and House polls and generic congressional ballot. And, you and know, you've, and you've taken on the baggage of FEC regulations. And, yeah, to do to get pretty much almost nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, there's a new CNN poll out uh, while we're talking on Monday afternoon. There's a new CNN poll out. Joe Biden has a 38% job approval rating. Let me put you, let me tell you where that where that matches up with other presidents because Manu Raju at CNN has actually done the has actually done the uh, footwork on this for uh, you know the for this at this point in in various presidencies Biden's at 22 Biden's at 38% excuse me. Trump was at 39%. <laughs> Jimmy Carter was at 42%. Ronald Reagan was at 44%. Don't forget this is 82 when we had that second dip of the recession. Bill Clinton was at 44%. Barack Obama was at 50%. And that was just a few months before he got clobbered in a midterm election. Richard Nixon in 1970, 55%. <laughs> Ike, Ike, 54, 62%. Uh, George H.W., um, 69% in, uh, 1990, which, you know, was probably partly in due to the, uh, Iraq war or the, the, the war hadn't That's started yet, but, no. but the confrontation had begun at that point in time. Uh, Kennedy, 1962, 69%. And of course, then the record holder is <laughs> George W. Bush in 2002, because of the 9-11 attacks, was still was still at 73%. Now, he was yeah. it was starting to come back down to reality. At and, that his, and, his, and, and that midterm was one of three since 1912 in which the incumbent president gained seats. Yep. Um, and uh, because of 9-1-1 there, uh, in 98, Clinton gained because the GOP overreach on Monica. And... Um, somebody else um i forget but it's in my column well there you go oh i know i know fdr in um in 34 uh because of the depression because of the depression and yeah the new deals slow response that sort of thing yep uh by the way um 69 of respondents in the cnn poll um Disapprove of Joe Biden's handling of the economy. 69. That, yeah, that's up from 54% in December. This is, <laughs> this is what this is, is Democrats um, yeah, disapproving. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. the final phase of the confidence crisis cascade when your own party starts uh, abandoning uh, you. That's what this looks it. like. Yeah. And they deserve it. Because remember, before the, uh, the 2020 election, 70% said they were voting against Donald Trump. Well, that means you're not really examining Joe Biden because you've decided uh, Joe Biden's my guy de facto. Right. And so you're going to elect a guy that really didn't get the thorough vetting and examination. I mean, you know, seriously, if you think about it, this is somebody who was campaigning from his basement on partial days. Um, yeah. And even then, you know, I mean, he was talking to Iowa voters about the infrastructure in Ohio. Eh, Ohio, you know, it's four letters. It's pretty much the same. <laughs> and and that was when he did the the pony dog soldier thing. And it's it's um, dog pony soldier. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't really look at him, but they could have known that they were getting into some age senility problems here. Uh, but they didn't want right. to see it because they were so desperate. And the same thing happened with Jimmy Carter. I mean, hello, I, I voted against uh, Gerald Ford because of the Nixon pardon uh, and uh, didn't really examine Jimmy Carter closely. And look, look what I gave the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, there was a whole lot of people who were doing that right along with you. And yeah. uh, it wasn't a very close election. So I, I would say that... Your vote probably wasn't what tipped the balance there. You don't think it was crucial? Yeah. I don't, well, you know. Um, so, um, we got a couple minutes left, and I know that you haven't had a chance to really peruse this, but Gallup, Gallup um, further expanded on its findings from a couple of weeks ago on 
institutional trust. They took a look specifically at the data set for media trust. And I think to no one's great surprise, other than the media itself, Andrew, it turns <laughs> out that media distrust is basically a nonpartisan issue or bipartisan or, yeah, nonpartisan is probably correct. You know, 8% of Republicans have trust in the media, 12% of independents have trust in the media, and now we find out that 35% of Democrats have trust in the media. This is an outlier position in all three parties. Now, for different reasons, I'll grant you, but nobody has much trust in the media, and the overall number is the worst it's ever been in Gallup. And yeah. as, as a result, Katie Tour went on, and this report came out on Sunday, and I think it was later in Sunday that Katie Tour came out with a video clip in which she's saying, well, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think you can do this job and be effective, but if, if voter, you know, excuse me, if people, you know, don't find you credible, then I'm not even sure, we, you know, what's the point of doing it. And uh, because of your big paying contract. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for her, you know, yeah, you're getting paid to do to the do job. Yeah. You're getting yeah. paid to do a job. Maybe you should do it. Well, you know, not all reporters get paid well, but, um, you know, this is, to me, this is an issue of editors, right? This is this is an issue of editors who are asking for and promoting narratives over just straight factual reporting. Yeah. And yeah. That, that, to me, is what the issue here is. So I don't even really have a, a specific issue with, you know, beat reporters. And they're fine reporters, by the way. There are people who, there are people who are actually doing this job, right? And you can find them. And sometimes they work for outlets that overall you have problems with but they're still fine reporters and you yeah. can you no, can that's true yeah You're absolutely right but and and it's crucial because uh our democracy uh requires a fairly common thread of information uh for us to make our own individual decisions and there are going to be various decisions and and disagreements and arguments and what have you but uh, newspapers have a, a bigger impact. They're, I think, in many ways, dying print newspapers. But uh, you know, you you drive, you commute in the morning, and you're driving, and you hear all the radio guys talking. Well, that's right off the front page of the local newspaper. They're not making this stuff up on their own. They're not digging it up. They're they're getting calls. You know, President Biden wears boxer shorts. What do you think about that? And it's all from some feature in the newspaper. It all comes right out of the, out of the, out of the media. Uh, and uh, we need a strong media. Now, we don't have it now. Um, and the media's role to me should be not telling us what to think through a narrative, uh, a biased narrative, but telling us what to think about. Right. And and that's where the that's where the importance comes in. They were they they select certain stories and they cover them and hopefully honestly, which they're not doing all the time now. <laughs> and I'm not sure, Ed, honestly, uh, I mean, I spent most of my life in that media and I'm not sure how you rebuild trust. If you think about um cheating in a marriage how do you rebuild that you can't undo it you can't yeah. undo you can't undo all this biased narrative uh the fact that um obama lied about you can keep your doctor and your health plan 37 times in speeches but that never made a fact check you know yep uh donald trump had what ten thousand alleged untruths uh but you know what uh, we're we're busy now and they can't do it to joe biden except on a scattershot basis. So Well, you know, and it's, you know, there was an article today or, or late yesterday um, from Peter Baker at the New York Times. And Peter Baker's a pretty good reporter. And um, it was over this conflict over whether Biden actually challenged Mohammed bin Salman over the murder of, yeah. you know, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, and Biden says, oh, you know, I told him I thought he did it. And, and you know, I made it clear that, you know, we yes. weren't going to put up with you know, and I mean, Peter Baker says, well, Peter Baker stepped through this and how did he put it? I got, I got to look this up because it was an extremely polite way of saying that, you know, is an extremely polite way, uh, a polite translation of the way I normally describe, um, 
uh, Joe Biden, which is 20 pounds of bullshit in a 10 pound bag. But <laughs> you probably can't put that in the New York Times. And I, and I will grant yeah. you, you probably shouldn't write that in the New York yeah. Times, right? I can write that at hot air. It's not appropriate for the New York Times. And I, and I agree with that. But this is this is this is how he described Joe Biden. Mr. Biden is by nature a storyteller with a penchant for embellishment. Penchant for embellishment. Our penchant, if you really want to, if you want to get into the French pronunciation, the penchant for embellishment. Yeah, that's that's certainly one way of putting it. Um, yeah, the, the president who had a long career as an over-the-road truck driver. Um, <laughs> we're supposed to believe him. So who are you going to believe? Um, a shady monarch or uh, a crooked president? A serial oh, fabulist. This guy makes yeah, serial fabulous. This oh, guy couldn't tell it. The, the guy. This guy couldn't tell the truth if it paid him to do it. I mean, it's. Yeah. He, this is the guy who plagiarized Neil Kinnock's speeches and Neil Kinnock's family history for his presidential speech for presidential campaign speeches. He lied about he lied about his uh, educational history. Nineteen eighty seven. This all happened in nineteen eighty seven. This is not new. Joe Biden. Oh, but there is new. Last month he lied to Annapolis, saying he got accepted to the Naval Academy. I, over and over uh, the again. The year he graduated from wherever he graduated. I mean, it's just yeah. So who who are you going to believe? Well, not right. him. Well, Baker Baker says you know it's this story sounds very familiar. It fits a pattern. And he's, uh, there was the story of meeting Putin and saying, I'm looking into your eyes and I don't think you have a soul. And Baker says, others present at the time had no memory of that specific exchange. It's because yeah. it didn't happen. It's nonsense. Uh, and, he said and, the same. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. But in, um, in Saudi Arabia, they called uh, the reporter back who did an interview. They called him back uh, so that one of the guys in the, in the meeting between the prince, crown prince and Biden could say, I don't remember uh, him raising that issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I don't think the Saudis are good at telling the truth either. But honestly, I think that, <laughs> I think that in a contest, I just root for both of these guys to lose. Um, <laughs> to get caught. To get caught. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonsense. Anyway. All right. So, that's that's one reason why we have a media credibility crisis here um, is because the media didn't want to draw those the connection the connecting lines between the dots prior to prior to that's the election right. they still don't they still that's don't right. he's a storyteller with a penchant for embellishment <laughs> oh penchant doesn't what? that make it I mean the the covering sacre bleu that's what I say sacre bleu <laughs> It's embarrassing, you know, professionally. People who are normally good and they're, I don't know whether it's, I think it's them, but it could be their editors. I, I'm going to guess in, t in Peter Baker's case, it's probably the editor. <laughs> but, but I don't know. I don't know that. What I do know is that the product stinks. And that's what the problem is, is that everybody, Democrats, Republicans, and independents are all saying the product stinks. Yep. Yep. And we don't believe it. No. Well, okay. There's cynicism and skepticism, and the media has gone into, and the readers have gone into cynicism. Yep. They're all crooks. They all lie. And I don't know how you overcome that in the long run. I really don't. You know how you overcome it, Andrew? No. With the jokes of the week. Of the week, yes. <laughs> okay. Here we go. We got the joke. So uh, these are all replays. David Letterman says, uh, said, uh, the all-star baseball game. Did you watch that? Boy, I tell you, nothing is more exciting than watching overpaid players give 50%. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's true. And it's the same yeah. in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, very much <clears throat> true in the Pro Bowl. Uh, Fallon replay. A new poll finds 54% of Florida voters think the country is on the wrong track under Obama, while the rest of Florida voters still think Teddy Roosevelt is president. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Fallon replay. The blackout. I guess uh, they had one at the time in New York. The blackout even affected some weddings at the Plaza Hotel. The lights went off right before a couple exchanged vows. The bride had just had just said, God, if this is a mistake, please give me a sign. 
And he may have. And he may have, Andrew. Or it might have become just after, let anyone who, uh, what, what's that line that, you, it, I mean, nobody uses it in weddings anymore. Uh, let anyone who. If anyone, uh, oh, yeah. If anyone if objects, anyone whatever it is. Reason, has reason to challenge this yeah. marriage. Yeah, whatever it is. It's a, uh, maybe she was dating an electrician. Maybe she was dating yeah. an electrician. Yeah. <laughs> a very jealous electrician. And when the lights came on, she was gone. <laughs> maybe she was married to a magician or she was, maybe she was dating a, ma a magician who knows yeah, yeah all right exactly. andrew well now that's just speculative and narrative journalism we don't do that here we're just no, about the facts no, and, no, and no. our opinions so that's right and if you want more of that you can go to uh you can go to redstate.com where uh, andrew is the regent of redstate.com and you can find out <laughs> more on twitter andrew is the prince of twitter at oh, ah yeah. malcolm that's and we'll, right. We'll do this all again next week. Yes, sir, we will. Thanks, everybody. Edward, I will see you later. I will see you later, Andrew, and uh, stay tuned for more from The Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. Thank you for watching and listening to The Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support The Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.